Good morning, Free State Church. I am so very excited to be here with you. My wife, Kristen, and I came up uh, to do a parenting workshop with uh, some of the parents in the group. You guys should feel so blessed that you have uh, family members who are willing to invest their Saturdays to get as much input and time together to be great parents. It, it almost kind of makes you want to stay after graduation. Amen, campus. But uh, I'm uh, so excited to be here with you. Uh, can't wait to to celebrate communion together. Uh, also very grateful for every single one of you. You represent more than just another church in the heartland. You really have become family to us. And even if we don't know you, we know of you. My daughters adore the church here. And they really speak so highly of you. I, I, I kind of feel like you guys are our home away from home. So thank you for this time. And I understand that you guys are studying through First Peter, which happens to be one of my favorite books. And of course, as a teacher, I have to say every part of the Bible is my favorite. But, but, but seriously, First Peter is one of those books that I think, honestly, until recently, you really couldn't read it with a whole lot of expectation that it would be applicable. Uh, some books are more relevant at different times in human history than others. And honestly, for the most part of the last couple of decades, First uh, Peter, which is a letter written to those that are in the margin of society, uh, we really kind of, as Christians, we st we were the mainstay. People fought like us. People acted like us. I mean, even people that didn't follow God, they kind of acted like they did. But we are a long way away from where we were back then. And now, all of a sudden, the amazing words of this incredible letter almost jump off the page in their importance to us. And today, I want to talk about being ones that are being built together. Because I think uh, as we as we think about being a church, we're looking at a time where we're like, okay, we, we've come through some things, we're navigating some things, we're trying to figure some things out, but ultimately it's not enough just to figure things out. We have to be about something, right? We need to build something. I mean, everything in the call of Christianity is about taking the world as it is and transforming it into the kingdom that God wants to establish on earth. And Peter speaks directly to this need over in 1 Peter chapter 2, which will be our main text for this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 4, going all the way through 12, this is what Peter writes. He says, you have come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. <laughs> now, I know, don't be dis dismayed if your heart wasn't all fluttered as I read this. This isn't normally one of those scriptures where we go, okay, this is my favorite one. But I hope by the end of today, maybe it will be. Because Peter is speaking to something that would have been very 
uh, common knowledge for them. But because of our distance from their world, sometimes we miss the picture that that uh, Peter is trying to share. Now, I'm going to post uh, this uh, this image up on the slide, which will be coming up now. But what you'll see here is this imagery that that Peter is using. He Notice that he starts by calling Christ a living stone, the one rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Then he, then he goes on to say, and you're like living stones being built together as a spiritual house, which of course in their world, when this was written, what was the spiritual house looming in the backdrop? It was the temple. Peter here is talking about what God is doing is that he on a different foundation using a different cornerstone, not the one laid by Herod, but a new, better, more expensive stone. He is now rebuilding the new temple. Now the temple is still up. It hasn't been destroyed yet, but Peter is already telling the church, listen, we've come a long way from brick and mortar, baby. There's something that God wants to do that will outlast even the great stones that are there. It's done through a living stone. One that was rejected, but precious and chosen by God. In fact, he even goes on, because if you're going to say something like that, you got to have a proof text, right? Well, here's Peter's proof text. You know, and I love how he says it, for it stands in scripture. You get this idea. He's talking about building something permanent. He, for it stands, not it says, it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. See, Peter is borrowing from this, this image of this ultimate of fulfillment when God will finally Bring his kingdom to earth. And I think one of the things that we need to grow in just as disciples is we're not trying to just get people baptized. The purpose of the church is to bring heaven and earth together. Remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This was always meant to be synonymous. Now, sin comes in and introduces hell and division. You know, when we, we choose, when we chose to go our own way and not follow the ways of God, we chose to try to build a different garden, a different temple, a different thing. And God goes, that's okay. I gave you free will so I could redeem you from the inside out. And now Peter is saying, listen, guys, it is time. The temple is there. We respect and love it. God used it to get people ready for this moment. Jesus has come. He is the stone. He is the cornerstone chosen and precious. And what you notice on the slide is that you see the corner of a, what would have been a first century building. See that, that prominent stone right there in the middle? That was the cornerstone. And usually builders, what they did is that this would be the only stone they would spend money on. This is the one that has all the perfect angles. It is perfectly right, which means that if every stone were to look like this stone, the, the, uh, the stones would automatically form a perfect match to the foundation that was laid. So think about what Peter is doing here. 
He goes, the perfect stone, the most costly stone, the one that you spend money on has already been laid in Christ. But guess what? You and I are like living stones. Which means as Jesus came and lived his life, he is the perfect Uh, He is the perfect image of what God wants here on the earth. And what he's saying is that you and I together, when we're now obviously by ourselves, we can't hope to match up to the cornerstone. But if but if you take a Perry and you take a Willie and you take a Bill, you kind of put us up, you start chiseling a little bit. Oh, come on now. If you start chiseling a lot, eventually the three of us together, just like you see in the picture there, the three of us stacked up together could start to match the dimensions of the cornerstone. See, Peter is saying that the temple, the new temple, the real temple, the one that's going to last, the one that's not built by human hands is being built within us. And as we're in each other's lives, as we're helping each other out, as we're loving one another, standing by each other, kind of getting getting involved with each other, we are starting to be shaped and to be molded and to be fastened into looking just like that cornerstone. And as we start to assemble together and we bring out that chisel and we start to chip off the edges that would, would, would kind of take us out of line of what the cornerstone wants, we we become the temple, the new place where God brings people in. And I think that's awesome because that means every time we get together for, for the purpose of discipleship, we're really just saying, hey, can you make me more like the cornerstone? Can I, can I help you to be more like the cornerstone? I can't do it on my own. I need someone to kind of go, hey, Bill, you know, this, this little angle in your life's a little off. Let's, let's kind of work that out. Or, hey, man, you're, you're kind of lacking here. Let me, let me add to your, to your heart. Let me add to your faith. And then as I start to lean in, it's like, as I'm being shaped, I want to help shape those around me, not to some human standard, but to the one standard, the one that's chosen and precious, the cornerstone. He goes, because the more we spend time trying to help each other to be like that, the quicker and the more prominent the temple's going to be. Now that's awesome. But you know, in Israel's past, they, they had a lot of things that, uh, that kind of went with the building of a spiritual house. I mean, think about it. They, they had Solomon's. Then, uh, of course, they blew it. Then they went into exile. Then they were allowed to come back from exile. Then they had the second temple, which is the temple of Zerubbabel, which, yay. And then, of course, they had the temple in the New Testament, which is the uh, temple that Herod built, which was awesome, which is why he's called Herod the Great. It wasn't because he was a great guy. He, he did these great works of building. And now Peter is speaking a normal language to them. But I want to make one point out of a page out of out of uh, Israel's past. Because I think anytime you talk about building, you almost always default to Nehemiah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's the guy that built the wall in 52 days. I mean, he's the one that you kind of come in and he's the, he's the one that kind of, that single focus, he's leadership bound. And he comes and he's like, let's build the wall. I mean, the, the Israel lies in distress. I mean, he's casting a vision. He's doing everything right. But the one thing we never talk about, and I want you to check out this last slide I got for you. 
I want you to take a look at Nehemiah's wall. And what you're looking at is a picture given to me by a good friend that I went to seminary with. I actually was his roommate when we went to Israel. Everyone in the doctoral program had to go to Israel. I know, had to go. Ow, ow, okay, I'll go. You know, we all went over there. His, his dissertation was in the defensive structures of the ancient Near East. His whole dissertation was about defensive walls. He actually got an award for the most boring dissertation ever written at that seminary, which he took with great pride because you're saying, because he went up and accepted the award and says, so you're saying it's impenetrable. But thank you. Thank you. Uh, scholar, scholar humor. You're welcome. But anyway, uh, but uh, he, he literally had, that was his dissertation. But what you're looking at is this amazing reality because he pointed this out to me. He goes, Bill, you know what this means? When Nehemiah came, he certainly came with resources, but he did not have enough resources to build the wall. You know what they did? They did not waste a single stone. All the wall was in disrepair, but you know what they did? Every stone, even the ones that had been broken down, were salvaged and repurposed because when you're dealing with God, there are no wasteable stones. Every single part has a part that that part needs to play. Every single stone needed to be there in order to have that wall. Nehemiah was like, we will waste nothing. And you can see it from that slide that there are two finished walls. But in the middle are all the stones that at one time had been broken down. And now through Nehemiah's leadership, it was being built back up. And you also notice in that picture how they chose to build it. And this, of course, takes me not to Nehemiah's time, but to the time when I was growing up. Uh, I was uh, born in uh, Denton, Texas, in a hospital called Flow. And no, that hospital no longer exists. Uh, my dad worked in the city in Dallas, and so my mom and dad uh, chose to buy a house that was like in the middle of nowhere. It was this little housing community on the corner of somebody's ranch land, and uh, they thought they were going to be able to live the country life while working in the city, and you know how that goes. The city just immediately started to sprawl. The urban uh, the urban spread of Dallas was tremendous in the 70s and 80s. And so this little quaint middle of nowhere town all of a sudden started to become this amazing suburb. And so my whole childhood, I, I was able to walk and watch people build. And I remember this one day I was walking through my neighborhood and of course there's all these houses, perfectly cut beams of wood, all these bricks as far as the eye could see. One brick looking exactly like another, exactly like another. There, It's there and you're just kind of walking through and you're trying not to get in trouble because as a kid and as a boy with no parental guidance, you just wanted to get into everything, right? And I, I was walking along and by my, by my house was this big pond. And it was a new pond. It was a, it was a man-made pond, but, but, uh, there was some people out there who were trying to build a retaining wall to keep the dirt out of the pond so the pond would actually stay a pond. But you know, they weren't following the same building pr uh, practices that were going on in the housing. They had all of these stones 
Different kind of stones, misshapen stones, sh- stones with sharp edges, uh, some stones with, with, uh, with, with kind of just this, uh, this great, you know, kind of almost looked like they were spit out of a volcano. They were kind of full of uh, porous holes and things like that. Some of the stones had been worn down to being almost silky smooth from, from years of wear. But, but they were using all of these kind of different stones. And I walked up to, to the group and I said, what are you guys doing? And of course they said, building a wall. And then I, I said, it'll never stand. And then this little, little lady actually came up and said, oh, it'll stand. And I'm like, no, it won't. I mean, you have all of these stones. I mean, look at all these bricks and, and wood. I mean, those things will stand. This will never stand. And she goes, oh, it'll stand. And I was like, I, I don't see how. And then I noticed that the guys behind her were mixing something in a wheelbarrow. It looked a lot like cement, but that's not what she called it. And as I continued to try to understand how she would do that, she goes, take a, take a, take a look. And she took one of the rocks, especially one of the rocks with a lot of sharp, jaggedy edges, and she sat it on top of one that was super smooth. Those two do not belong together. And then she started just layering on the stuff that looked a lot like cement, but that's not what she called it. And she kind of filled in the sharp points. She started, she started putting some on the bottom stone and then she put some on and then she took another stone, which was almost squarish and, and kind of, kind of more, more, uh, more rectangular. Again, none, none of the shapes even matched, but then she just kept pouring on that stuff. You know, that stuff that looks a lot like cement but she called it something else and she would just kind of plaster it and, and poke it and, and, and she would, and, and after a while, these stones, which should never go together, were somehow sticking together all because of that stuff. You know that stuff? The stuff that looks like cement, but it's much stronger, it's much more lasting. I, she, she called it something else and Peter knows what it's called. Over, over in 1 Peter chapter 4, he writes this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, it's, it's funny because my dad still lives in that housing complex. My dad's house has had to have major restorative work. You know, the ground moves a lot in Texas and that foundation tends to break. In fact, every house in that, in that neighborhood, if it's worth anything, has had to be re, re-roofed rewalled, filled, cracks filled in, all of this sort of stuff. I mean, it, it is just an ongoing need to constantly update. You cannot keep a house together. All those materials were precise and they were cut and they were, they were uniform and none of them had what it took to stay together except that wall. Now, granted, the ground on one side of the wall has climbed up over the years. But the wall is still standing. 
all these misshapen stones that should never be stacked on the one to the other, all of these stones that you would never put together, they're not even from the same geological family and they're there in the same wall. They have all sorts of different twisted natures and, and square this and some are smoothed over, almost round, and yet they're all in the same uh, wall and that wall has still stood to this day. You want to know why? It's the stuff that looks a lot like cement, but it's not called that. It's something stronger. Something that that uh, that uh, that Paul would say of all the things humans can do, if you do this one thing, it will never fail. Peter says, above all, above all, if you get nothing else out of his letter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers. Love covers. It fills in the gaps. It stands in defiance to a world of division. It, it, it speaks to this nature that the world has right, all should feel included, but has no idea what real inclusion and real freedom are like. But love does. And he's writing to this church that is on the margins of society. He's writing to these Christians who, like you, are wondering, can we ever overthrow Rome? Are we always going to be subject? Are we always going to be on the run? And Peter's like, hang in there. There's something you can do that will always keep things together. Love each other deeply. Because love covers And it's a lot stronger than cement. And it keeps everyone together. So when we think about the purpose of Peter's writing, I think we go back to our main scripture. And it says, you've come to him, a living stone, not one set in Set in molasses, not one that's stuck. A stone that is always the cornerstone of every generation from this point on. He lives. He's rejected by men because the price of Christ-like love is too high for the world. But it's the only type of love that God calls chosen and precious. And then Peter says something amazing. You... You are like living stones, just like him. As you learn together, as you walk together, as you learn to cover each other with the stuff that looks a lot like cement, but is called something else. As you make a commitment today to look around the Zoom screen and you say, today, every person on this call Every person sharing this moment of communion and worship with me today, I'm going to try to be like the cornerstone with them. And if there are sharp edges, we'll cover it. If the stone seems too worn down to make a difference, we'll use it. 
If one just kind of seems a little blocky, a little blockheaded, that's okay. We'll round those corners because love covers a multitude. And if a church focuses in on loving each other deeply, Peter is like, you're all going to remind me of someone that's called the cornerstone. You're chosen and precious. Precious. You are the temple that God has chosen to put a spirit in. You are the priesthood that is going to bring people to him. The only thing you have to do is make the commitment to love each other deeply and cover it. I promise you, it's way stronger than cement. It is the one thing we can do, as Paul would say, that will never, ever fail. I love you, Free State Church. You are a breath of fresh air to Kristen and I. We can't wait to meet with you in person someday soon. But until that time, love each other deeply and have a great day.